You're listening to Travel Inspired with Cambria Hotels, a podcast designed to ignite creativity and inspire travel through conversations with the creators who inspire us most. Let us help you plan your next getaway. Hello, everyone. I'm Zach O'Hare, certified Cicerone for Cambria Hotels. Thank you for joining us today for Season 2, Episode 3 of Travel Inspired with Cambria Hotels. Today, we have a wonderful conversation with Aaron Inkrot, Brewing Innovation Manager at St. Arnold's Brewing Company, fantastic brewery out of Texas. I love working with these guys and we have a a great conversation today about some wonderful things that they're doing and their partnership with Cambria Hotels. So let's go ahead and kick it off. Aaron, please feel free to tell us a little bit about yourself and what it is you do with St. Arnold Brewing. Thanks, Zach. St. Arnold has been in Houston, Texas for 27 years now. I've been with the company for 10 I started out as a shift brewer, working day shifts and overnight shifts, making wort and adding hops, checking fermentation temps, and all things kind of beer, we kind of call it from grain to glass, so anything from milling in all the way to filtration and packaging. After that for a bit, I moved into a lead role where I was managing other brewers and the same operations that I was doing before, then moved into a brewing operations, which is kind of a head brewer role of production analysis and setting up uh, how the weeks and months will go. And then in my current role as a brewing innovation manager, it's basically trying out recipe development, more or less, Um, whether that's creating new recipes or kind of messing around with the production processes of current recipes, either to make them more efficient or use different raw materials to make sure that the consistency is still there. That's excellent. Yeah, I'm seeing a lot of innovation in craft beer all across the board. I have the good fortune of traveling to many different cities and experiencing it firsthand, experiencing the local culture and and how those breweries impact it. And St. Arnold certainly has a huge impact on the Texas market and Houston specifically. I believe you mentioned before St. Arnold's been uh, around for about 27 years. They started back in 1994, is that correct? Yeah, June of 94 was when the first keg was shipped out. Excellent. Yeah, it makes them one of Texas's oldest craft breweries. We're the oldest, but we're not the first. We're just the longest lasting so far, I guess. <laughs> longest lasting. We'll take that. I'm very excited to hear what you have to say about craft beer movement and, and what you've seen and sort of where St. Arnold's is headed as well as craft beer uh, as a movement in general. Uh, before we get to that, you talked a little bit about what it is that you do and kind of how you came about that. Will you expand just a little bit on your path to becoming Brewing Innovation Manager? Uh, I'm sure that was quite the journey. And uh, trust me, it, throughout my roles, uh, especially with, with Cambria and a certified Cicerone, I, I know that it can be quite a lot to take on. And getting as far as you did, I'm sure that you got some interesting stories to tell. I think influences and where inspiration comes from is the primary aspect of my role. And the craft beer consumer is you have no idea who they're going to be at any given time and what they're going to want. When I started 10 years ago, people wanted IPAs. That was kind of what it was. And these are not like hazy IPAs. That's like West Coast style bitter beers. And then most breweries would have, you know, three or four beers within their lineup and they would have an IPA. But nowadays, the old adage of being a loyalist to a brewery is gone. People just want something new, something different, and they'll typically not order the same thing twice. So we're coming out with a lot of new innovative products, either at the beer garden or within our home, in our home market of just trying to not necessarily throw a dart and see what sticks. That would be kind of a bad approach to it, but just trying to create a variety of flavors that 
don't just come from typical beer. Whether that's using fruit, whether that's using other odd adjuncts and creating more of a culinary approach to producing a beer rather than just looking at it as making a pale ale or something. You're absolutely right. I'm seeing uh, across the, the country and even worldwide, people's tastes are changing quite rapidly. Again, I've been doing this a long time myself, and you're right. The craft beer movement felt like it was based upon the idea of the IPA and creating the hoppiest, most bitter beer possible. But now you're really starting to see this incredible regional and global impact on, on different brews and, and what people are looking towards and, and unearthing old recipes from, of course, the old world, Belgium and Germany and all over Europe and the rest of the world. I think that that's where probably a lot of the sour craze is kind of coming from too, is a lot of that. What would you say it is that that is currently really trending right now? Definitely hazy IPAs are still the number one trend, I would argue. It's also bringing in a whole new group of consumers that have never even tried beer before. I've used a music analogy of the Metallica Black Album. People who didn't like metal or heart-heavy music before, they really gravitated towards Metallica's Black Album, but people who were true fans of what that genre of music was, they didn't think it was a very good record or who, who would encompass Metallica. But the, the thing is, is you can't be mad at bringing in a whole slew of new consumers. They're also being introduced into a variety of other beers, like with hazy IPAs, but they're also being introduced into lagers, pilsners, uh, sour beers, like you mentioned. So it's there's over 90 recognized beer styles by the Brewers Association, and it's if if we can just get that one hook for a new consumer to get into, then they'll 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 either gradually or even aggressively get into this whole umbrella of beautiful beers and offerings. Um, another another craze uh, craze I would say is there's these pastry craze um, or that culinary approach of using obscure or I would call them obscure ingredients like graham cracker or pistachio powder or or even cotton candy I've seen a variety of things and inherently as a as we're a very German focused brewery we've kind of follow that run boat of using four ingredients and and being consistent about it but we can't really get mad at bringing in more consumers to to discover something new. Absolutely. I think innovation is definitely important. I think that a lot of craft beer is based on some traditional ideas, but taking those ideas, expanding upon them, and, and bringing something new and progressive uh, to market. And uh, we're very fortunate to have worked with St. Arnold's uh, before, and of course we carry the art car and lawnmower brews at our Cambria Hotel in downtown Houston and Convention Center. And as you know, Cambria Hotel is very food and bar forward. We got a keen sense of space and really try and connect with a, a lot of the local community. The amenities that we offer is very local and community focused. Of course, connecting with, with people like you and, and offering a sense of that uh, time and, and place, but also trying to push that envelope a little bit. So in terms of St. Arnold, how would you say you are impacting the, the culture and community there in Houston, and how are you allowing the community to impact you and what you brew? We've always said here at St. Arnold that we are nothing without our community. Without their support, we would not be in existence. So we, we definitely try to find at times ways to support them as well. Um, I mean, the prime example is during the last year is 
Um, several places were shut down. Um, I think one of those were restaurants and bars. Um, so we partnered with Houston Shift Meal. We made a beer called Gratuity. Um, it was just a pale ale and we 100% of the proceeds went to Houston Shift Meal, which gave m meals to industry workers that weren't able to afford a hot meal. Another big example was the Black is Beautiful. That was a collaborative effort of over, I believe there was over a thousand breweries in the country that participated. We worked within our part of uh, Houston, we're in a district called the Fifth Ward. We worked with a company called uh, the Center for Urban Transformation and they just, you know, they work on bridging gaps and uh, driving new ways to kind of be more engaging uh, with their community. And then another big example is working with Pink Boots to help with women within the industry and help education and, you know, development with them. Yeah, that's excellent. And you have an impact both locally, but also on a, a wider scale. And of course, you work with farms like Yakima Chief, which is, of course, Pacific Northwest. So uh, how does that come together? Is that partly inspired from different connections or different travels? Is the St. Arnold's team, are they going places and, and finding cool new things, new people to work with and bringing that back home. Uh, I know that a lot of my job, it does actually end up working that way. A lot of my travels have inspired some of the direction that I, I've pushed the Cambria beer menus and, and the things that we're trying to do there, uh, as well as pretty much anything throughout my career has always been inspired by some of the things and, and I've seen and done outside on my travels. I think that's the beauty of travel is if you're welcome to it, then you're more than likely going to be inspired. I think putting yourself in a position of being uncomfortable is where the greatest inspiration comes from. So yeah, we do travel to the Pacific Northwest. We work with Yakima Chief. We work with uh, Haas and Hopsteiner. That's, they're up in the uh, Washington area and then they have some farms in Washington, Idaho, and uh, Oregon. We also work with Crosby Hops. They're out in Oregon. They're all fairly similar in process, but they also have their own little pro uh, uniqueness as well. When they come up with new hop varietals, they'll do single hop, like smash beers, so single malt, single hop beers. And we kind of get a, a good education on what kind of characteristic they, they can display when they're on their own. And then I am fortunate to go to uh, Germany and Czech Republic to also to select hops, and those are all the noble varieties, so all very old world. So Halatau region, which is just right north of Munich, those are most several generational families. Um, and it's, they have a much more, I would almost say like holy, <laughs> like, like perspective when it comes to making beer. It has been that way for centuries, and we've been only making beer in the United States since I don't know, 1800s, so, well, 1766, I guess. But when you look at breweries in, in Texas, like they're, or in the United States, they're, they're much younger compared to, you know, Weinstefan is the oldest family-owned brewery in the world, and it's like old, it's like 800 AD or something like that. It's ridiculous. So their perspective is much more of like, it's part of their life. It is, you know, it's ingrained into them. And when you actually put yourself in that position of, you know, grabbing lunch in a Munich gar a beer garden and you see everybody there at around 1130 in the morning, like drinking a, you know, a half liter or something like that. And then they go back to work or he's like, is this a weird thing? Is this okay? But, you know, it's obviously they're not drinking to inebriate, but it's still a point in their life that beer is part of the culture. And United States isn't isn't there yet. Who knows if it'll be like that, but it's beer is so regional when it comes to, you know, Europe. And I'm curious if the United States will ever get to that point. Sure there's like, 
you know, the North New England IPA that did the hazies and then, but everybody else in the United States is now making hazy beers. Beer was so restricted by the water profile in Europe. And that is the reason why we have all these historical styles. Germany can't make stouts because of their water profile. So they got really good at that Hellas and light beers. They do make some dunkels in some other parts of the country, but it's still, they, the, their water was not you know, capable of making these rich, robust porters of, of England. So it's, it's kind of like you had to go around, and that's what's still fun about traveling over there is you really get a sense of you have to go to these parts of the, those countries to get that specific beer, and I think that's great. But in the United States, you can go to one brewery and kind of get examples of what, how their inspiration from traveling can develop all these other beers. Anyone that I'm educating, I always talk about the water sources. I always talk about how important water is to beer and the influence that it has had on styles historically. It's it's fascinating though. You brought it up in terms of uh, the United States, obviously with the innovation of, of water treatments and being able to add different mineral content and or filter some out. It's allowed everyone in the United States who is interested in brewing a particular style to be able to do that uh, unlike uh, historically different countries not having access to those sorts of things so it's, uh, it's quite fascinating I think that the traveling is a, a fantastic way to get outside oneself connect with the world uh, connect with different people and I believe that food and beverage is a hundred percent one of the best ways to do that. We all eat, we all drink something, you know, from water, coffee, tea, to beer, wine, and it really brings you to a a sense of of place and allows you to connect a little bit deeper with people, which I I think is is fantastic. Now, in recent uh, recent times, obviously, some of that social aspect has been a little shut down uh, due to the pandemic. Are you seeing any sort of major changes throughout all of that, any sort of shifts in terms of what you're seeing from the consumers or what it is that you're doing uh, as a brewery? Like everybody, we had to adapt. Our draft was 30% of our production, and obviously that went to 0%, but our bottles and cans went up 25%. So thankfully for for us, we had a, a fairly solid distribution ne- network between within Texas and Louisiana where we distribute that we could still get our product into people's hands. And you also look at how other regional breweries, how well they did during what we thought was going to be much worse for the brewing industry, and they actually performed pretty well. What that shows me is people wanted something that they were familiar with. Once we could open the restaurant back up, we were trying to find ways to still try to get people to come back, whether it was for the food or beer. So we started doing unique beer uh, pairings with the food that we were making. And then we were starting to dabble in spending some money on some other ingredients to make some more innovative beers where using ingredients that we don't commonly use. And so we started packaging very small amounts, about five or 10 barrels, which is our normal size of releases are 120 to 240 barrels of beer. Um, so we were doing very small five or 10 barrels and people were excited about it. So and that, that, that got people to come and, you know, kept people in our beer garden employed, kept people in our kitchen employed, which is always, you know, any way that we can do that is uh, we, we want to try. And a lot of those releases were, like we mentioned earlier, the you know, Houston Shift Meal beer that we did and then the Pink Boots beer was all during, you know, the shutdown. And that was ways to kind of just keep people engaged and know that we're not, you're not just benefiting the brewery, you're also benefiting all these other um, 
other things that we're helping too. It sounds like you've had no lack of inspiration. There's been some sparks of creativity even throughout the pandemic. And it sounds like you're continuing to innovate and evolve the brand despite all of that. Are you, there are things that you see uh, up and coming, uh, anything in the next five, 10 years that you think St. Arnold is going to push towards, or maybe the industry as a whole uh, will move towards? Seltzers are super huge right now. So, and some people within our industry felt that, you know, health was a big focus of reduced carbs, reduced calories, you know, lower ABV, but then some of these seltzer producers are now releasing 8% and they're selling like crazy. And it's like, you know, like these are all a means to an end is what they're for. And people like the way it makes them feel. Um, so, I mean, our focus is like, sure, that is a means to an end, but we want, we want to make sure people are doing it, you know, safely, obviously, but we want them to be flavor driven, you know? Um, and it's community focus. It's bringing people together. And we're, we're trying to get back to that environment of, you know, feeling comfortable with bringing people back together. I would love to get into distilling. I'm, I find a lot of inspiration in spirits and, and cocktails. I, I, I love a good mixed cocktail. Um, we're fortunate here in Houston to have several great cocktail bars. Um, Canberra's got some, has some great options as well. What I really like enjoying when it comes to innovation is how can I take, you know, a, a whiskey sour and what would that be like in a beer? Would, would a consumer actually be interested in having that? Um, or one of my favorite cocktail drinks is a very low alcohol one. It's the Americano. So it's just Campari and sweet vermouth and, you know, uh, carbonated water. So refreshing. And it, but how would, would I, how would I make that? It's not, not as easy as I thought it would be because of that. The Campari is a very difficult thing to kind of mimic when it comes to beer. People just want, they want it to be good, obviously. But can you get them back for another one? That's the deal, and it is a business. We want people to come back to have a second one. And there's a lot of beers out there that people have made that I've had that was like, yes, this is delicious, but I don't want any more than six ounces of it. And if, if, if we start making beers like that, then I don't think we would be around much longer either. Yeah, and you make an incredible point there. There's a fine line between innovation and putting out something interesting, but also being business-minded about it, because if a guest isn't interested in having a second one, then it really doesn't do you much good, right? But kind of on the opposite end of that spectrum, I'm, I'm very interested. You mentioned quite a bit uh, about the culinary influence in, in brewing, and I, I see it all the time, and it does extend to wine and cocktails uh, all across the board, really. It's the, the kitchen and the bar are becoming a fusion. Uh, what would you say is maybe the some of the most interesting ingredients you've used in your brews. One that always comes to mind is we did a Cascada uh, coffee stout. So coffee is grown like a fruit. It's a fruit technically, and it's grown on a bush and it's surrounded by a cherry pit. It just looks like, it looks like a cherry actually. And what they do, most coffee roasters will pluck them and then they'll dry it out, open in the sun and sometimes they'll take the cherry off to help cure it. So they'll take that cherry is called cascada. Um, and we worked with a coffee roaster here several times for our French press Imperial Coffee Stout or Imperial Coffee Porter. And we made a we added this cascada later on fermentation and it added a really, really cool dried cherry note. And the coffee it just kind of brought it all together with 
the fruit of the of the coffee, the coffee bean, and and the beer itself. So that's always one that comes to mind. That's actually that also goes back to that idea of grain to glass, or you know, in the the kitchen, you think tail the snout. You're using the whole piece of something. There's zero waste. Trying to make use of every bit of it, which is uh, fantastic. It's a in, incredible thing, not just in terms of innovation, but it's great in terms of uh, reducing waste and just being mindful of those things. So, I'm very excited to hear that too. Another one we did, uh, we we did our double IPA in gin barrels, and we wanted like a big juniper nose and we actually ended up using juniper berries um, to help accentuate that flavor. We've done cocoa nibs, vanilla beans. We've done banana powder, peanut flour. I mean, there's like, there, there's a long list, <laughs> but there's always like classic fruits for like Belgian style, you know, fruited creeks and, you know, framboise. I, I, I'm still very partial to using cherries and raspberries and beers because they play very well together. I'm definitely seeing a a beginning of, of crossover between beer and cocktails, and I believe you mentioned this a little earlier. It, you're a big fan of, of cocktails and it, making a, a well-made drink, which, uh, of course, a little bit different than making a beer, but trying to cross over those realms. Are, are you seeing a lot of brewers do that? I'm starting to see it a little bit here and there, but it, it seems like it could possibly be something on that next wave. We came out with our hard seltzers uh, just this past month. They're called the super fine hard seltzers and a lot of them, well, all four of them were inspired by cocktails in a way. First there's Mimosa Morning and then the Berry Lounge, the Sangria Sunset and Black Current. And then finally we have the uh, uh, Lemon Drop. So I chose Lemon Drop because we, we played around one of my, it's like my benchmark. When you walk into a cocktail bar, even if it's like a dive bar or like a ritzy mixologist bar, it's like, Order the lemon drop, and you'll, you'll definitely get a benchmark of how good that bartender is. Is it going to be a super high-end one or just like a, you know, roses, lime, or lemon, you know, is in just mixed up. But so we, for the lemon drop, we use lemon juice and lemon peel. So I took that, a lot of that cocktail inspiration for these, for those seltzers, because I kind of felt that maybe, you know, people don't want to necessarily drink the hard alcohol and maybe only drink four and a half percent of it. And uh, so far it's been doing pretty well in the last month. So we'll, we'll see how that trend goes or if, and we're using hundred percent real fruit. My big focus on at, here at St. Arnold is it's like, we, we like using real ingredients. We don't like using chemical extracts and that's what a lot of majority of the seltzer producers use. And, um, but we wanted to make sure we, we were using real fruit. Um, the downside is that it is slightly more expensive, um, but uh, we can, basically show our consumer that we want to make sure that you know what you're actually consuming. Any craft cocktail bars within the Houston area that are specifically inspiring you in those ways? The big one is Anvil and uh, that's uh, like they've been around for 10 years or maybe a little bit over but anything un under Bobby Hugel's umbrella is kind of like you know you, you're going to get a very good cocktail and then if it's something that I'm just going to want to drink you know a shot and a beer and then I'll just go to Poison Girl um, but uh, yeah Anvil and then there's Better Luck Tomorrow and then there's Oh my goodness! There's pastry war. There's 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 a bunch. Bad news bar. Oh, I'll get a good view. Some excellent choices. Yeah, I've had the good fortune of of hitting all those spots before, and I can tell you there's there's a lot to be inspired by there in Houston. Also, with throughout your travels, uh, I know that you you've seen a lot. But is there anything that's really stuck out to you that you felt was worth uh, bringing back home or 
it, just talking about in general anything that you're like okay if you if you had to go someplace uh, again see something experience something uh, what might that be in in the world of beer or even the culinary world yeah the thing you can't bring back is how it smelled how it looked the view that is like um so much about the benefit of traveling is that added experience. And whatever you're drinking or eating, it does something chemically to your brain that says, this is why this is the best beer I've ever had. This is why this is the best food I've ever had. And it has the benefit of because you're in some place new and you're, you're experiencing that with the person right across from you or your friends. Or, or what's coming to my mind is a Munich-style Hellas. There's a monastic brewery in the southwest of, of Munich. It's called Andex. And you go up this winding road, up, to, and then you come across this opening sheep meadow. And then you just see this tall, like, tall church building. And, and then there's a beer garden right on the top of it. And, and as I'm drinking it, it was like, this is a relatively simple beer, and there's nothing that's going to beat this. And I can remember how it smells. I can just remember smelling, like, hops and because there was a hop field down there, and that's something I can't bring back. But what I can do for myself is try to create a beer that reminds me of those experiences. Um, and like, oh, uh, I think of the Pacific Northwest when you're going up there. It, it, you just smell hops all the time. And I think that's the obsession that brewers had in the United States was like when IPAs were becoming so popular, they just kept adding hops, adding hops. And it like some of them smelled like you were walking into a hop bin. You just get transplanted back to that. So I think that's with food. That's with wine. That, I mean, that's anything. That's why I think it's so important for people to get out. I think you make a good point in how a sense of time and place really transforms your experience and it's something that we put a lot of focus on in Cambria, trying to find those small details that really make an impact on our guests, you know, from creating a sense of community there, bringing in the local craft beers and not just anything, things that we've really spent some, some time to do the research and, and to taste through and, and figure out um, from the art to give that sense of place. So when you go to someplace like Houston, you know where you're at and it feels like you're a part of that community, even if you can't really make it outside of the hotel. So uh, I think that is, that's fantastic uh, that you bring that up. And I know I certainly have a, a few of my own memories of, of things that really transport me to uh, a different place. So that, that's really cool. Going back to that, at Cambria Hotel, we do carry that your lawnmower beer, which is a, a German-style Kolsch. You do f definitely follow a lot of traditional methods within that. Is there anything maybe we, we don't necessarily know about that brew, anything that you think puts your own spin on it that kind of takes it out of that traditional method that was part of the innovation of, of putting that brew together? I wouldn't necessarily say I'm that as strict to follow those guidelines probably when i started i probably had that mindset but i think it's kind of the idea similar to traveling you know if if i'm going to restrict myself to certain places i'm always going to be going to the same places sure that has some fun to it but why do the same thing over and over and over and over and over again i mean you tell that to the germans because you can always get better and i mean yeah honestly there is some truth to that and uh, but um i think it's important to explore and and you know get out of your comfort zone and I think I think one aspect of getting out of your comfort zone is is uh you know there's there's the three time there's the three rule that's what I kind of carry around is like you, you 
and that's for food, that's for wine, that's for it, that's for anything that you're gonna that you're gonna consume. Is you try it once. If it wasn't good, you probably were just having a bad day, or it was prepared wrong. So you should try it the second time. The second time, you might not like it again, or you might like it, but it it's important to know that you should try everything at least three times because that third time you've definitely exhausted all the possibilities that there was something wrong with you and that there was potentially something wrong with the person who prepared it. You try it for a third time, I bet it's going to be there. That's an excellent rule. I follow a very similar rule, but mine is uh, try something once a year. You, you develop, your taste buds change, and you know you can have a completely different perspective on it after a, a period of time. So I, I think that's a great point. So one awesome thing that we do at the Cambria Hotels is we do offer beer flights, which is a great way for guests to experience that, for them to get outside their box and try something a little different, tasting a style of beer that maybe they wouldn't typically gravitate towards, which I think is really important. It helps to open up their eyes and, and give them an opportunity to experience something that maybe they wouldn't take the chance on already and they could very easily fall in love. But uh, yeah, I think that that is super important. The, the experience is really important and something that I know that St. Arnold's really focuses on, Cambria really focuses on, and it really creates something special for our guests to really think back on. All said and done, you know as well as I, uh, when we talk about travel and we talk about consumables, the only thing that you're really left with is the memory. So make that memory as good as you possibly can. Aaron, thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, I loved hearing about uh, your journey, your path, and your passion as the Brewing Innovation Manager at St. Arnold's Brewing Company. Wonderful brewery. And uh, just to wrap up, is there uh, anything else that you want to add? Please come to Houston, stay at Cambria. And Houston is always, I've always referred to as one of the most eclectic cities in the country. Our culture is more diverse than most places. So you can find a little bit of the entire world here in Houston, so. Excellent. Well, thank you so much for sharing with us today, being a part of our podcast here, Travel Inspired with Cambria Hotels. Aaron Incrot, Brewing Innovation Manager of St. Arnold Brewing Company. And I am Zach O'Hare, Certified Cicerone for Cambria Hotels. Thank you for listening to Travel Inspired with Cambria Hotels. We hope you're feeling inspired to plan your next getaway, explore a new destination, or rediscover local attractions in your own backyard. Visit choicehotels.com Cambria to book your next adventure. We look forward to seeing you soon at Cambria Hotels.